0: As you're taking your seat, why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw a hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up and grab one of these Bibles and take it home as our gift to you. And turn to the book of Habakkuk. you're thinking, Habakkuk, did you just make that up? Are we like, you're making up books now we're preaching on earth? What's this going on? Are you just going to make up your own stuff now? No, Habakkuk is actually, it's it's one of the minor prophets, meaning it's one of the smaller, shorter prophetic books in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible up, usually in the middle you'll hit Psalms, turn right, and go through the major prophets, right? So Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, those longer prophets, and you start busting through the minor prophets... Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. You start going through those, you'll eventually hit Habakkuk. If you, if you hit Matthew, you've gone too far. Right, turn left, go back again. Right, it's only three chapters, so about three pages long. Now, you could go to church for, for your whole life and never hear a sermon from this book. It's, it seems like such an obscure book. In fact, we don't actually know much about the prophet. We don't even know how to really pronounce his name properly. It's 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 not a, a word that we would know. In fact, um, archaeologists and whatnot historians say it's this borrowed word from the from the Akkadian people of the Mesopotamian Mesopotomia whatever that other place Mesopotamia. Or I don't have to say that word either. Apparently, right? But and it's this loner word, just grabbed from from them. And so we don't really. So if you say Habakkuk or Habakkuk, you can say however you want. It's Probably right, okay? And no one can tell you any different. So I'm gonna say Habakkuk, all right? That's where I'm going with. You choose your own way, but we both know where we are, all right? So we're gonna be in this book of Habakkuk. We're gonna spend the next three weeks in this book. And we're gonna see, although it's an obscure book, although it's a, a small, one of the smaller, minor prophets, there is so much application in this book for us today. In fact, if your Bibles are open, look at verse 2 of chapter 1. Habakkuk says this, "O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I mean, what a great question. Is that, is that not a question that, that I'm sure that many of you here in this room this morning, you've asked that very question, that, that you look around at the world around you and we see what's going on in our world. We see the, the, the crisis that's in the Middle East. We see what's going on in North and South Korea. We see what's happening in China. We see what's going on in Libya. We see what's going on in Eastern Europe. We see all these struggles. And, and not even globally to see struggles. But we even look deep inside our hearts and, and in our families. And, and maybe in your own family, it's, there's this, this pain, this struggle. Maybe there's sickness that you or a loved one is facing or job loss, or, or relationship struggles. And, and so often we find ourselves thinking, God, you just don't make sense to me right now. God, I, I don't get you. Why are you acting this way? Why are you not answering my prayers about this? Where are you, God? You don't make sense right now. And many of us have, have questions when it comes to God and, and a lot of times we have the what and the how questions and we can study and read and look and we can find those answers, but, but there's the question of why. I'm gonna tell you in, in, in two decades of ministry, this is the hardest question that most people ask. It's easier to answer the, the how and the what about God, but we start asking why. God, why would you let this happen? God, why don't you heal? God, you, you seem to answer so many other people's prayers, but when I cry out, it doesn't seem like you do anything at all. God, I, I raised my kids immersed in the gospel and now they're wandering away from you. Why? God, I, I, I followed you so closely. I, I, I was abundantly generous and now we're in this financial struggle and I see other people that, that didn't do that and they seem to be doing just fine. God, why? God, why would I have so much pain? Why would that person I love have so much pain in their life? They love you and serve you. And I see others whose, whose lives are train wrecks, but you just keep apparently blessing them. And, and, and listen, right now, some of you may not be asking these questions, but I'm telling you, somebody sitting beside you is. Or there will come a time in your life where you ask, God, where are you? Habakkuk's name, it actually means to, to wrestle with or, or to embrace. And, and what we're going to see throughout these three chapters here for the next three weeks, we're going to see this prophet wrestle with God throughout this book. We're going to wrestle right alongside him. And, and here's a bit of a warning for you as we do this. that This sermon, even this series, it won't be a sitcom sermon. What do I mean when I say that? A sitcom, I loved watching sitcoms when I was growing up. Maybe you did too, right? Dukes of Hazzard, Cosby Show, Family Ties. Like I loved those shows. And and every sitcom sort of had the same kind of way of doing it, right? There'd be 30 minutes. There'd be some jokes and some laughter. There'd be a crisis that would come in. But by the end of the 30 minutes, commercials included, 30 minutes over, crisis solved. We're on to next Thursday night. When we meet the Hoxtables again. And they're going to have another crisis, right? Everything would be solved. Everything would be wrapped up. Listen, Habakkuk is not a sitcom. This is more like real life. We're going to leave some mornings with, the, with unanswered questions. We're going to read through this, this, this minor prophet. And we're going to go, man, you didn't answer everything for me. But what's happening is Habakkuk's laying out his heart before the Lord saying, God, I don't understand you sometimes. In fact, again, look at verse one. We'll read the first four verses. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. it just lays it out for God. I mean, that's what I love about Scripture. I mean, you see reality here. You, you read through the Psalms, and you see, you see psalmists crying out to God, going, God, I don't get it. You read Job, you read Lamentations. I mean, you even see Jesus on the cross or in the garden before the cross, laying his heart out, saying, God, Why? Here you see real questions being asked. It's, it's such an important part of our, our walk with Christ to be able to ask these questions. So our, our first point this morning is this. It's a question that we would ask God. We would say this if you're taking notes. God, what are you doing? I mean, that's really Habakkuk's question. God, what are you doing? I mean, look, look at his complaints as he lays them out. He's, he's basically saying, God, you don't seem to care. You, you aren't doing much when I call out to you. He says, you're just idly looking by. You're, you're not hearing my prayers, he says. What we're going to see when God actually says, hey, hey Habakkuk, here's what I'm about to do. You're gonna see Habakkuk complain, another complaint. Ask God again, what are you doing? He's gonna say, God, God, that plan is not a good plan. What are you doing? R- really, what's Habakkuk saying? He's saying this, God, if I were, if, if I were God, if I were in your shoes, God, I would do this so much differently. How often do we think like that? God, I, I don't like how you're doing things. God, I, God, you're not answering my prayers. It says, I'm, I'm crying out to you. That, that's a word filled with emotion and passion and energy and heartache. He's saying, how long? I mean, Habakkuk must have been praying this for a long time. It, it could have been months or maybe years I mean, have you, have you been there? Maybe right now. You're saying, God, I, I keep asking you for the same thing over and over again. Are, are you even listening? Now, re- Real quickly, as we, as we open up and see, see Habakkuk's calling out to God, we, we got to get a good understanding of prayer. When we pray, when we call out to God, like Habakkuk is doing here, we know from Scripture that there are, there are really about four ways that God answers our prayers. And you're going to recognize when I lay out these four ways, they're not always the ways we want him to answer. All right, God, God always hears us when we pray, but he's going to answer in one of four ways. All right, The first way God will answer us is he'll, he'll answer us in this way. We call out to him in prayer and God will say, are you talking to me? Right? Maybe think of that in your greatest De Niro kind of, you talking to me? Right? Like kind of what God's doing, are you talking to me? Now, why do I say that? Psalm sixty-six, eighteen 18 says this, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me if I have unconfessed sin, if there's an area in my heart that I refuse to deal with, there's a a relationship that I just won't take care of, I won't forgive someone, I'll hold that bitterness in. God's saying, listen, listen, when you pray to me, I'm gonna press you into that before we move on to what you're asking for. There's there's a scary verse in 1 Peter for husbands. It says, husbands, care and love your wife. And he says this, so that your prayers won't go unhindered. So imagine that you're a husband going, God, why? God, why? And God's going, your wife. Love your wife, man. You're not caring for your family. So there are times when God says, listen, you press into this and then let's talk. The the door is always open in heaven, that, that grace abounds. And God says, listen, listen, don't be so stubborn in that sin. There's hope and grace and healing for that sin. Let's take care of that and then we'll move on to the other. So sometimes God says, are you talking to me? Sometimes God answers this way. God says yes. I mean, so often, I mean, I just love one of the, the, the coolest parts about being a pastor of a church is seeing God answer prayers all over the place where people are praying, God, would you heal? And we see healing happen. We've we're seen countless times where, where a young couple saying our doctor said we can't have kids and we're praying over them and then all of a sudden, guess what, we're pregnant. We we hear God answer yes. Oh, I have this financial struggle. I need God. And God answers, I I have a decision to make and I need wisdom. And we see God answer yes. God, I have this family member. I want their heart to change. God answers yes. God, I have this addiction. I need you to break. And God answers yes over and over and over again. We see this. That God answers yes to our prayers. There are two other ways God answers though. And these two are ways we don't like hearing. God, God can say no. Sometimes we call out and God says, no, but, but, but God, why? I'm asking for something that's so good. And, and it's as though God says, listen, I've got a purpose. I'm using this right now. Remember the apostle Paul, where he called up to God. He said, three times I asked God to remove what he called a thorn in the flesh, something that was not comfortable for him, something that he wanted removed, something, God, would you take care of this? This isn't good. And God says, actually, no, Paul, it is good. I'm using that. So no, I'm not gonna answer your prayer to be healed from that because God says to Paul, I- I'm making you perfect in weakness. So God's like, hey, hey, that thing you hate, Paul, I love that. That's the thing that's keeping you humble. So God sometimes answers no because he has a different plan. I may have told this before, but I, I remember the time when my wife Libby, when her, her dad was dying of, of lung cancer, and in, the, in the, the year that he was battling cancer, I mean, we pray, God, heal him. God, heal him. God, heal him. And Libby grabbed me one day. She goes, Kai, I think God's saying no. And you think that seems ridiculous. Why would God say no to that? Because I think God has a different plan in this. So we started changing our prayers. And we said, God, heal his heart. Here's the crazy thing, Libby's dad would say in, in the, the last months that he was alive, he would, we would talk about, about where he's at with the Lord, what's going on with cancer, and he would say this, this is crazy, he would say, this cancer's a gift. He said, because God used it to soften my heart to him and to my family, and God did a more miraculous work than we ever could have seen, and we were disappointed that he'd said no, until we saw. wow, God had a whole other plan for this. Sometimes he says no. Now, the fourth way God answers prayer, and and just like hearing a no, this can be a very difficult one to hear from God. Sometimes God says, wait. Man, that can be the hardest place sometimes to be, can't it? Where where life isn't happening the way you hoped it to happen, and, and God says, just wait, I've got something I'm doing here. And think about when that happens, when you first came to Christ, you kind of think of it this way. If you, you were to think of your life on a bit of a graph where, where you were, you first come to Christ and you're in this, this low place and, and God's drawing your heart and you surrender to him and, and Christ comes into your life and you are transformed. I mean, you're just this radical change and, and you shoot up and this life of joy and victory and God's answering prayers and, and and every sermon you hear is like, man, that was just for me. And you're opening up the word and you're just everything you see is like, God, I can't believe the change. You've changed so much. You're growing so much that your friends are going, Man, what's going on with you? What happened? Man, what you come back down. Like, this is right. You're growing so much. I love people who first come to Christ because you become like the, the crazy radical Jesus freaks. Even other Christians, maybe you ever see this, are like, dude, calm down. You're like, are you kidding me? I've been set free, right? And, and if anyone tells you to calm down, you just tell them that, okay? No Christian should ever tell someone to calm down about Jesus, right? And your life is doing this, you're on this, and then what happens? Then all of a sudden, God doesn't answer the prayers the way you wanted Him to. That loved one gets sick. That difficulty comes, and now we start to to drop down and we're, we're entering into this valley, this spiritually dark place where, man, man God used to do this and, and then, then you are getting further down and, and that relationship falls apart and, and, and God, where are you in that? And we, we come to this place and we have, we have some options as we drop down here now into this valley. Where, we, we have an option. We can either just deny it altogether and go, no, you know what? I remember when I was way up here so, so that's where I'm going and I, this isn't happening. We deny the pain Say, hey, hey, you lost your job. Doesn't matter, don't even want a job. <laughs> what about that healing? I don't need the healing. In fact, in fact I am healed. Well, you're not, the says, No, no, I am. And we fake our way back up to here because no, this is, must be where I need to be, right? And we do that a lot. Or maybe that's not where you go. Maybe instead you, you run back to the beginning where you started and you say, you know what? If that's how God's gonna be, I don't think I can believe in that God you met people like that? Maybe you're there now where you're, you're drawing that line back down to say, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. You don't deny the pain, but you deny God's love. And anger begins to grow or, or depression sets in and we, we, we run to anything else we can to, to find, to numb the pain, to put a Band-Aid over the pain. So we, we run to, to Facebook, to travel, to, to staying out, to staying in, to, to eating, to shopping, to drinking, to smoking, to something, something that'll, that'll curb this hurt, this pain, these, that we use it to cover up. And, and maybe even now, maybe even right now this morning, you need to ask God, what am I running to to cover up this pain? to avoid this this place that you've brought me to, this this valley that you've brought me into. What what am I doing trying to avoid What am I using right now? Because here's another option in the midst of that crisis where we call out, God, where are you? What are you doing? Here's the other option as we hit this valley. It's our second point this morning. It's this, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Tim Keller, a pastor and author, he wrote a great book. If you're you're battling through this idea of pain and suffering, he wrote this book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Phenomenal book. And in that, he notes this. He says, in our culture of I can accomplish anything, when, when something comes in, when we look at God and something happens and we don't understand why it would happen that way, in our culture today, we say this. Boy, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem good. And because I'm so wise... Because I'm so knowledgeable, God, you're screwing this up. You must have done something wrong. And he says in cultures past, they wouldn't look at it that way. When they would look at something where they didn't understand, where God seems to be doing something, I don't know why God is doing this. They would say, this doesn't seem right, but God, you are infinitely wise and knowledgeable so much more than I am. So although I don't understand this, it's probably because I don't see the whole picture. The difference between those two places of God, I don't get it, you must be doing something wrong, and God, I don't get it, I probably just can't see it, the difference is trust. I mean, think about what, if you have young kids or had young kids, think about how many times you had to say no or wait to your kids. Do they like it all the time? why don't they like it? Listen, because if you're talking to a toddler who wants to eat chocolate all the time, saying you can't have chocolate because supper's coming, you can't fill your face with that, they don't get it. They get upset and, and they, they're like, no, I don't, and like, here's what you can do. You could sit there and go, hey, let me, let me teach you about nutrition. Let me give you the basics of it. Even then, right, the two-year-old's like, I don't get this at all. I just know that I want chocolate and you're not providing it for me. And so what do we say? We don't bust out charts and graphs about nutrition. We say, I love you. Just trust me. So now think about us in relation to God. We're not just toddlers to a to a mom or a dad. He's infinitely wiser. He he has eternal plans that he's bringing about. He he has a love for us so great, the love that we see through Christ on the cross, that, that that love sometimes means that God says no, that God says wait, that God says no, I've got a perfect plan I'm working out even through this valley. And the easier road is to, to deny and just jump back to that high we had before. The easier road is to go back to the beginning and say, I don't want this anymore. But, but here's the harder, but listen, the, the place that will grow you in a way that nothing else could grow you where you come up out of that valley saying, I'm gonna trust you in this, Lord. And listen, things may not get better at first. It may even go deeper for you, but I'm, I'm telling you because of what scripture says. That that even if it gets more painful, even if your your faith gets rocked a little more, if you continue to stick with God through that valley, at some point, he's gonna take your faith to a higher level. He's gonna take your intimacy with him to a deeper level. He's gonna build in you this trust and this security that you never dreamed possible. You'll look back down at that other peak and go, man, I can't believe I thought that was the high point with my Lord and Savior. As we trust listen, if you're willing to walk through the season of doubt. In fact, I would say this, every person I know who walks closely with the Lord, who has this intimate relationship with God, this this relationship that I look at and go, man, I wish I was as close to Jesus as that person was, every single one of them has been through this kind of a season. In fact, James in the New Testament says it this way, James 1, 2 to 4 says, count it all joy when you face various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Scripture's saying this, listen, listen, in that low point, in that trial, God has a plan. This testing, this this trial, this suffering, it's producing something in you and God's at work growing you more and more and more like Jesus. Jesus. And so God may lovingly allow us to go through those seasons of doubt, those seasons of questioning, those seasons of fear and insecurities and unanswered question. Why? Because he's doing something in us that he couldn't do any other way. And you might think, yeah, man, I got great faith right now. My faith is strong. And God's going, I'm gonna test that. You think you have great faith, but it's never been tested before. And you get to that place. Have you been there? Maybe you've been there where you go, man. I thought my faith was strong. I had kindergarten level faith. Let me tell you what I walked through and how God walked with me through that manner. I've now got a doctorate in faith. Is it tested? You know, I put up one of those portable not portable kind of sheds this fall. You've you ever seen those, right? So you wanna put something inside, so you build this shed. And I'm thinking, this is a pretty strong shed. This shed's good. I'm a good builder, right, as I put together all the pieces. And, and I thought I was really smart, cause I'm going, look at all that wasted space on the top part of that shed, I could stuff way more up in there. So I put boards across this aluminum tent, right? Boards, and just stuffed so much stuff up there. Now, if you're like smart at all, you would know, man, that's pretty top heavy. I'm thinking, no, no, it's strong, man, that thing's strong. And it lasted all fall, because it was strong. Yeah, winter came, right? And snow came, and if you come by my house now, you'll see this thing that's not so strong, right? As it just crunked right over, broken on its side because it was tested. Like, I could say as much as I wanted it was strong because it had never been tested whether it was strong. enough to hold up the weight I put on it. And listen, I used to say this a lot. I used to tell people all the time, man, I'm such a patient guy. Then I had Kids. Man, I, I didn't say it anymore. My, my, my patience was tested. God, God's growing more patience in me through my kids. So listen, where you think you have something, you're like, man, I totally have this. Man, th- this is where I'm strong. And maybe God's revealing to you right now, listen, maybe it's never been tested. Man, I don't have an anger issue, then it's tested. Anger comes out. Man, I'm faithful, then it's tested. I'm loving, and then it's tested. Scripture says that we're all God's handiwork, that God's this master craftsman, and he knows his work well. He knows how much heat he can apply so that you become stronger without being destroyed by it. So where is God building you right now? Now, God does answer Habakkuk. Okay, look at verse five. He says, God, are you gonna answer me? In, in verse five, it says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days you would not believe if you were told. You're not going to believe what I'm about to do, Habakkuk. Now look what he says he's going to do, though. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans... For they pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Listen to what God just said. Habakkuk said, there's injustice everywhere. Would you help us? And God says, oh, believe me, I'm bringing help. I'm turning the heat up even more. Habakkuk's going, wait a, minute, wait a minute, God, your people aren't living for you. There, there's injustice in your kingdom all around. What will you do to help us? God says, I'm gonna bring more of it. I mean, that, that's not the answer Habakkuk wanted to hear. It doesn't even make sense. And so, so what's Habakkuk do in this time of darkness? As He dips down, we can, we can learn a lot from Habakkuk here. Look at verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my holy one. We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof, for you are pure eyes than to see, for you are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no rulers. So we, say, well, listen, I, I get it. You're God. but I don't get it. God, that you would use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, that you would use them. In fact, look at the description he gives of who these guys are. Verse 15, talking about the Chaldeans, that they they bring all of them up with a hook. He says, we're like fish. They just bring them up with a hook and drag them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, makes offerings to his dragnet. Remember, they said they, they worship their own might. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? He's saying, God, God, your answer to to take care of injustice with a greater injustice does not make sense. Verse 12, he's saying, God, 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 I always knew you were wise, but you see the wrestling going on here. He's not, he's, not, he's not down in this valley and denying that the bad stuff is happening. Going, oh, it doesn't matter. Babylonians are great. This is probably gonna be really good. He's not faking, coming, trying to get back up onto the spiritual high. He, he's not abandoning God. He's not saying, if that's who you are, I want nothing to do with you. No, he's wrestling with God here. He's in this valley just wrestling out his trust, wrestling out his faith. Now, his name means wrestling, but his name also can mean to embrace. He's grabbed a hold of God going, we're gonna work this out. I mean, this is so important. Listen, don't ever believe the lie that you can't argue with God, that you can't question God. Don't ever believe that lie. No, no, he's the king. What he says goes. Just be quiet. And if you you question him, he'll just wipe you out. Scripture doesn't show that. But don't believe the other lie that says, listen, if it doesn't make sense, then God must not be real. Habakkuk doesn't do either of those. He's a bit like Peter. when Remember when everybody left Jesus, when, when he was doing this hard teaching and everybody bails and Jesus turns to his disciples, he goes, what about you guys? Are you guys gonna bail too? And Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like Habakkuk here. I don't get what you're doing, God. This doesn't make sense, but I have nowhere else to go, so I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to call out to you, and God's saying, listen, Habakkuk, I know it doesn't feel like it, but I'm working. I'm listening. We're saying, but God, I hate what you're putting me through right now. It's breaking me so that I'm only dependent on you, and I hate that. And God's saying, that's what I love, and we grow in grace, we grow in faith. And so some here this morning, maybe you find yourself this morning in Habakkuk chapter one and you're wrestling and you're, you're questioning and you're waiting and you're waiting and i tell you next week as we unpack chapter two, it doesn't get any easier. I don't have any clean, quick answers like a nice sitcom, but here's what I do have. What we see from this is this, in the midst of that dark place, embrace God and as you embrace him and trust him and he walks through this with you he will bring you to a new height you never thought possible before that valley a faith that now says I've walked with God through that dark valley he was with me the whole time I have a greater faith than I ever had before he's even a greater treasure to me I don't just worship him any longer for what he gives me I worship him for who he is As we wrap this up, we, you, you need to fast forward a long way and you see what God did as he brought the Babylonians in. You know, on this side of the story, looking back, here's what we know. The Babylonians did come in, did wipe them out, did scatter them around, but the Babylonians then were taken over by the Greeks. The Greeks then with force took over the world and, and the Greeks did this great thing. They, they, they got everybody speaking the same language. For so the first time in, in world history, the whole known earth could speak the same language. Then the Romans came in, and as brutal as they were, when they came into power, there was peace now. And so it's it's safe to travel anywhere in the kingdom while the Romans were in charge. So think of the irony here of what's going on. For the early church being launched, the, the violence and oppression of the Greeks and the Romans led to the ability for the good news of Jesus Christ to spread more easily. Everybody's speaking the same language. Peace and ease of travel. God was at work. When the communists kicked all the Western missionaries out of China, there was this great cry from the West going, What will happen next? All the missionaries are being kicked out. God, the hundreds of years of mission work, it's all gonna be wasted. What are you doing? And what happened? When they all got kicked out, the Chinese church began to build themselves. They took over and made it one of the fastest-growing Christian movements in the world. Joseph, in the Old Testament, you read about him. He was so loved and really spoiled and favored by his father, Jacob. He, he was on his way to becoming this spoiled, cruel man. The whole family's dysfunctional because of it. So what does God do? God healed the whole family. How? By allowing 20 years of misery for Joseph. Joseph. So God says to Habakkuk, hey, great question. You're asking what I'm gonna do and I, I'm gonna answer that. But if I, if I tell you what I'm doing, you're not gonna be able to understand it. I'm gonna tell you, but you won't get it. Habakkuk says, tell me what you're doing. God says, okay, if I tell you, you won't understand it, tell me, okay, here it is. God, I don't get it. I told you, you wouldn't get it, right? Listen, can we trust that God is infinitely loving, that he's wise, that God could bring salvation out of injustice. He could bring healing out of brokenness. Do you know that in Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul quotes Habakkuk 1, five: "The look and see, be astounded at what I'm about to do. And what does he do? He points beyond the Babylonians. He, he points to the greater truth that God was revealing through Habakkuk. He was pointing to something else to be astonished by. He was pointing to the cross of Christ. That when God the Son came into this world, how he went to the cross, how he took the judgment that we deserve, that God's justice was poured out, that, that Jesus didn't come in strength, he came in weakness. Listen, what God's saying is listen, on the cross, all of this is finally explained. That God's a just God, but he took our suffering, our judgment, his justice that we deserved, and he took it on himself. He he paid the penalty and out of darkness, he brought redemption people were standing in front of the cross and they were wondering, God, how can you bring anything good out of this? I don't see how you can do this. And yet our salvation was being secured at that very moment. And so now we look at our lives and we ask the same question. Listen, what can we do? We can look to the cross. And remember that, that, that when we see the cross, when we feel abandoned by God, we can know that we're not That it may feel like abandonment when we hit that valley, but it's not really abandonment. It's actually God at work. Why? Why can we know that? Because Jesus Christ was the one who truly was abandoned, so we never would have to be. And we can embrace and cling to God in those questions, and as he does a work in us and takes us to a place we never imagined he could bring us to. So this morning, as the worst team comes up, we're, we're going to end with a, a song of trust. Actually, it's a, a pretty famous hymn written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a lawyer in Chicago, and uh, his wife and four daughters boarded a ship to cross the Atlantic to Europe, and he said, I'm going to come in a, the next ship across, and I'll meet you in Europe, but you go on ahead. He had stuff he needed to do in Chicago. As they were crossing the Atlantic, their boat was struck by another ship and began to sink. Horatio's wife grabbed her four daughters up onto the deck of this sinking ship, and she cried out for God to rescue them. Somehow she survived. The four daughters drowned and died, and she said this. She said, God gave me four daughters. Now they've been taken from me, and someday I'll understand why. Horatio Spafford boarded that next ship to, go across the Atlantic to be with his grieving wife. And as they passed by that very spot, the captain of the ship said, this is where it sank. It's on that journey that he penned this hymn called It Is Well with My Soul, where he said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Would you stand and let's sing that together.